Good morning, fellowship. Would you stand with us this morning and come let us bow before the Lord our God and the Lord our Maker. Let's sing to Him. He's done great things. do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And we come into this place seeking His presence as we humble ourselves before His Word today and as we sing His praises together. We are Fellowship Bible Church, and if it's your first time here, we're glad that you chose to come to worship with us today, and we'd love to get you connected and 
You can go to the center booth in the foyer or find one of us after the service, or you can text hashtag new to the number, go to our website. There's a lot of ways you can get involved, but we want you to get involved here at Fellowship. We want you to be known, and we want to know we want to know who you are, and we want you to know who we are. So take that next step and meet someone here at Fellowship. Uh, there's a lot going on, even in the summer, and so we want to let you know all of those things across the hall next week, July 10th, is our legacy gathering, and it's during the 1030 service hour. And so we want to invite you to join if you're part of the legacy ministry here at Fellowship. And also we have an FSM announcement, and we don't always announce things that are going on in student ministry because they normally do that via social media, because let's be honest, most kids know what's going on if it's on social media. But FSM is taking the summer to, to fast, and they're encouraging students here to fast from social media. And so here we are. I'm announcing something for FSM. They have a splash night that's going on this, uh, so Tuesday the 12th from 3 to 5 at the Rogers Aquatic Center, and it's for middle school students. So this is current 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. So if you're a middle school student, if that applies, or a parent, we want you to know about the splash night at the Rogers Aquatic Center Tuesday, July 12th. This morning, I want to uh, turn our hearts and our minds to Scripture. Last week, we were in John 3, and we saw Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. And this morning, we come and we see Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. Or maybe it's more appropriately said, the woman at the well's encounter with Jesus. And so, my encouragement to myself as I've been preparing has been, As we see people's encounters with the risen Savior, would I come expectant to encounter that very presence myself? That when I see Jesus for who he is revealed by his word, would I fix my eyes on him? And what's really special about this passage for me today is during the discourse, all of chapter 4, we see Jesus teaching on worship. And so there's so much in this passage that if Sam were to do a complete message on worship when he comes and teaches, we'd miss a lot of the context. I told Sam, hey, I'll take some of that, and we'll use it as our call to worship. So Jesus answers this woman at the well, and he says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father and the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So what what does that mean this morning? You've probably heard this worship in spirit and truth before you've grown up in church and I want to give us a little bit of context a little bit of encouragement I think the second one is pretty simple worship in the truth we find the truth in God's created order through his word and then not too long ago we saw Jesus say I am the way the truth and the life that being believers in the one true God means that we are believers in truth. And so when we come together, we should rally around the truth of who God is and how that relates to everything else, everything that he created. So we humble ourselves before his word. We seek his presence. I think the first one is often a little bit more complicated. What does it mean to worship in the spirit? Some translations say in spirit. So is Jesus saying that we worship in the Holy Spirit? Is he saying that we worship with our very spirits, and I think that it's not a choice that we have to have between the two, but we call our own spirit to attention as we pursue the presence of the Lord together, that we worship in spirit and in truth. And I want to see how Eugene Peterson translates this passage for us in the message. This is verses 23 and 24, and I want it to encourage you as it has encouraged me. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your 
spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. So just take a moment before we continue to sing and call your own spirit to attention of the living spirit today. And tell God this morning that you will humble yourself before his truth, his righteousness. As the psalmist wrote, bless the Lord, O my soul. Would you encourage your own soul this morning to sing his praise? Would you stand with us? Let's join with creation and sing.
I believe that everybody has those songs that when you sing them or you hear them sung, that they take you back to a memory, a moment, and a place. This morning, I'm getting to lead and sing a few of those. I remember where I was the first time I heard that song in a college ministry. And that chorus just echoing the psalmist. He called, you answered. I want to be where you are. Just sensing the presence that God is with me, that he is for me, that he will never leave me or forsake me. And this next song that we're going to sing, I think it came out around five years ago and in a place just struggling with life and God, what are you calling me to? You know, where, where am I going to be in five years? But even what are you calling me to in the next moment, in the next day? And God really um, just asked me this question as I was listening to this song. Do you, do you trust me? Do you trust that I am the living water, that I am the well that will never run dry? Do you trust in me for satisfaction that only I can bring? And I felt the nearness of God again through the ministry of his truth, his word. So this morning, I'm going to sing this song over you. And we have the opportunity to prepare our hearts for the preaching of the word as we see Jesus reveal himself as the living water. And I'll ask you that question this morning. Do you truly believe that with your whole life? The chorus goes like this. And I am tasted and nothing satisfies like you do the fountain won't run dry nothing satisfies like you do I will never forget Oh 
Well, it was my junior year of college, and I had drifted into what you might call a reckless lifestyle. It would have been a lifestyle that was fairly typical for a University of Arkansas fraternity guy. Drinking in excess, moving from party to party, living a self-centered, unholy, and unbridled lifestyle. And it led me to the bottom of the pit. I was dissatisfied. I was discontent in life. I remember one particular Sunday afternoon, I was still in bed and it was uh, a fall home football weekend and I was hungover from our time of sin and excess. And I was thirsty. I was literally dehydrated, but my physical thirst was actually mirroring this longing that I had deep in my soul. I was spiritually thirsty. Deep down in my heart, at the, the very core of who I was, I was searching for meaning in life. I was looking for direction in life. I was hungering for peace in life. And I was wondering if there was more to this life than what I was experiencing because I thought I had it all, but I was empty inside. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've become dissatisfied with what this world has to offer you. You found yourself lacking peace or searching for meaning. For me, it was that point, literally that day that I began my journey to find the Lord Jesus Christ. While still in bed hungover, one of my fraternity brothers knocked on my door and invited me to a Bible study. And it was through that Bible study that I came to know Jesus Christ. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of John, and we're going to hear the story this morning of a person with a thirsty soul. We're continuing in our John series. It's been a long one, a 21-week series. It's a three-part series studying the New Testament narrative in three sections. The first section is the seven I am statements. The second section, the seven miracles. And we're in week two of the third part of the series where we're studying seven transformational encounters that Jesus had with people that are recorded in John's gospel account, each encounter conveying to us a life change story. Last week, Nick Rowland was here and he taught on Nicodemus. So we had Nick on Nick. Today we have woman at the well. No connection. <laughs> Just me. 
woman at the well or the Samaritan woman's interaction with Jesus. The setting is Jacob's well, a place to draw water, a place that provides relief, a place of life enrichment. And it was at that place that Jesus shared with this woman how to quench the thirst that was deep within her soul. Now, it's interesting that John recorded these two stories back to back in his gospel. John chapter 3, Nicodemus. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, because you couldn't find two more different people. And in each lengthy account, he gives the details of who they are and their background. Nicodemus, he was a male, woman at the well, female. He was a Jew. She was a Samaritan or a half-breed. He was well-respected, religious leader, educated, uh, a moral lifestyle. He was at the top of society. She was an outcast, rejected, uneducated, sinful, at the bottom of society. Nicodemus sought Jesus out. Jesus seeks this woman. And while they were very different, they had something in common. They both desperately needed to know the Lord. And John made a point that every single person in the room needs to hear this morning, no matter who you are, whether you're at the top or the bottom of the social strata, whether you're male or female, married or divorced or single, morally upright or wayward, a church member or someone who can't stand church people. We all need Jesus. Every single person in this room has a thirsty soul. So while we're all different, we're all created to be in a relationship with the Father through the person and work of his son, Jesus. Let's dig into the story. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, meaning John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Jesus was attracting negative attention from the religious leaders of the day because of the popularity of his ministry. And he wanted no part in the controversy. So he left Jerusalem and Judea and he went north back to his home region of ministry in Galilee. Now on his way, he is going to stop at a city called Sychar. As he moved from the south in Judea to the north in Galilee, he stops at Sychar. Now, here's why I put the map up. Look where Samaria is. It's right in the middle. And so if you were to take a direct line from Judea to Galilee, you would naturally go through Samaria. If you were to pull it up on Google Maps, it would say fastest route, right? But a rabbi would never go through Samaria. They would actually take the western route along the Mediterranean Sea or the eastern route along the, the Jordan Valley because a good Jewish person would never interact with half-breeds. The Jewish people despised the Samaritans. It all goes back to the Assyrian captivity back in the 700s BC. I won't bore you with the details, but the Assyrians conquered the southern kingdom and they brought in refugees from around the world and planted them in Samaria. And the Samarians co-married, intermingled their religions, and they became impure, according to the Jews. So why did Jesus take the central route through Samaria? Well, verse 4 tells us, it says that he had to go through Samaria. Well, we know that it's not a navigational necessity. There were other routes. It was a divine leading. He was compelled to go on this route. Why? Because he had a divine appointment. He was intentionally seeking to have a conversation with a woman who had a thirsty soul. And through this encounter, which had eternal ramifications for her, he would actually share good news with her whole city. Some Bible commentators have gone as far as to call this Christ's mission to Samaria. Look at verse 5. The story continues. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. 
Jesus stopped at the well, the well of the patriarch, his ancestor, Jacob. And after much travel, he needed a drink. In his humanity, he was weary, he was tired, and he was thirsty. Sakar was located at the base of Mount Gerizim in the dry and arid land of Canaan, and this well was a source of life. It was an essential part of the food chain. Without it, the livelihood of those nearby would have been threatened. And that physical reality, the need for water in a dry and arid land would take on a deeper meaning, a spiritual meaning, as Jesus, the living water, interacted with people who had a great thirst. Now, maybe you've seen the television series, The Chosen. Has anybody seen The Chosen? I see a few hands out there. Now, while it's not the Bible, you do know that, don't you? Veggie Tales and The Chosen are not the Bible. In the artist's sanctified imagination, I love some of the scenes, and this scene is one of my favorites. So let's let The Chosen paint the picture for us of the woman at the well. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would, except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. Verse 7. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus engaged the woman and in doing so, he crossed social barriers that would normally prevent him from having this encounter. For a rabbi would not talk to a woman in public who was not his spouse. And a Jew would not talk to a Samaritan, for they were despised. And a self-righteous person would not talk to a known sinner. Yet Jesus crossed all of these boundaries and intentionally engaged this woman. He did not abide by the social norms of the day. He did not alter his behavior because he feared the opinion of others. And he did not yield to any apprehension that he might have felt in his humanity. He was on a mission to save the soul of a desperate woman. And to do so, he crossed social boundaries without hesitation or restraint. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a world right now that loves its social boundaries. We live in a polarized society that erects walls between us based on our differences. And I think the world could use more people who are willing to cross social and racial and political and religious boundaries as opposed to reinforcing them. Don't you? And we see that modeled in the life of Christ. He ignored cultural expectations and just loved people. Even people who lived and believed differently than he did. The woman questioned him, how can you give me, ask me for a drink? Some Bible commentators note the surprise or the amazement from the woman in her request to Jesus. She was shocked by his willingness to even speak with her. Others see her surprise through a negative lens. They see a little attitude in her response. Oh, I see. Because you're thirsty, you'll talk to me. I see both practicality and intentionality. Jesus is asking for a drink. Why? A, he's thirsty, it's noon, and he's hot. B, he was trying to find common ground between him and a person who was very different than him. What did they have in common? They both needed a drink. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her question with a clue to his identity. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and Who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus acknowledged that from her earthly perspective, it was very odd That he was asking her for a drink, but she had no idea how odd it was. He said, if you knew, if you really knew who you were talking to, if, if you knew that you were in the presence of not just a Jewish traveler and not just a prophet or a rabbi, but that you were in the very presence of God. If you knew that he could satisfy the thirst of your soul, if you knew that the source of life and eternity was in your midst, but she didn't know. She didn't realize that the gift of God was asking her for help, that the source of living water was asking her for a drink, that the one who existed before Abraham and Jacob stood before her as a weary traveler. At this point, she was clueless. She didn't realize who she was talking to, if she only knew. You know, I wonder if sometimes God doesn't say the same thing about us. If they only knew. If they only knew that the very things that they worked for and hoped for and paid for and strived for would only leave them thirsty. And if they only knew that the one that could truly satisfy the thirst of their soul was the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you what? Rest. If we only knew. 
Well, the woman asked a second question, where can I get this living water? And she reminded him that he didn't even have a jar. And it was at this point that Jesus crossed over from the immediate physical context to the spiritual context. He wanted her to know that he wasn't talking about the water in the well. Look at verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus noted that he was talking about a different water. He was transitioning from the immediate context of the well and the, the jar and physical thirst to a spiritual context. He was shifting from the abstract or from the concrete to the abstract. He had water that she didn't know about. It was spiritual nourishment that could bring contentment and satisfaction that would quench the thirst that she had deep in her heart and not only satisfy her soul in this life, but for all eternity. His presence would become a well of endless satisfaction and peace. And of course, the woman was interested in this water. She said, sir, give me this water. But she didn't get what he was talking about. That way I won't have to get thirsty and keep coming back to this well to draw water. So Jesus got to the heart of the matter. Look at verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. She was not clued in to his illustrative language. So he took a different approach and he revealed her true thirst. He uncovered her need. He cut to the heart of the issue. Woman, the life you're living, the choices you've made, your attempt to find contentment and satisfaction are ineffective and are inappropriate. You're drinking from the wrong source. You're seeking value and security and peace and contentment by moving from man to man in immorality. And Jesus revealed the sinful and regretful way that the woman was living. He uncovered her heartache and pointed out that she was seeking to find contentment in the wrong place. Aren't you glad that we're not like her? Oh, we are, aren't we? Like the woman, we've all been guilty of the same thing, trying to find satisfaction in life and some earthly pursuit or possession. We seek to find peace in a substance or a habit or a hobby or the accumulation of, of, of money or possessions. We try to find our self-worth and our success or our achievement, achievement or our resume building. We try to distract ourselves with entertainment or sex. The prophet Jeremiah said this, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's true of every single person in here. We've all tried to satisfy the longings of our heart and our soul outside of God's will. We turn away from the true source and try to find meaning in life. And other things. And you know where that leaves us? Thirsty. Still longing for more. Well, after Jesus supernaturally perceived her spiritual disposition, the woman threw him a curveball and brought up a subject change. Sir, I see that you're a prophet. So let me ask you a theological question. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It seems like the woman didn't want to carry on a conversation about her personal life, so she redirected. Her tactic was to attempt to distract Jesus with some ongoing theological debate. Where is the proper place of worship? He continued, look at verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Woman, true worship is not found in the formulas of our fathers. 
but in a relationship with God. It's a heart connection to the Father by the Spirit through the Son, and it's founded on the truths of the Scriptures and is empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at verses 25 and 26. If you're tempted to fall asleep, wake up now. This is the important part. Because Jesus came back to the heart of the matter. And he's going to reveal to her his true identity. The woman said, I know the, the Messiah, the one, the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain all of these differences between the Samaritans and the Jews. Jesus declared, this is it. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's interesting that while her life seemed distant from the Lord, the woman still held hope and faith in the coming Messiah. Her confession revealed that she still held on to the ancient promise of a coming deliverer. And to this fragile and modest faith, Jesus responded by revealing his identity to her. He said, this day you speak of, this long-awaited coming day of the Messiah, that day is here. I am he. I am the promised one. I am the son of David, the promised savior, the Messiah. I am the Christ. He had proved his deity through supernatural word and deed. And now he made his messianic declaration. He loved her intentionally. He uh, authenticated himself supernaturally. Now he's communicated with her clearly. And in this revelation at Jacob's well, Jesus was inviting her to believe in him. To come to faith. To, to leave her sin and shame and to worship him and drink from the well of living water that could satisfy her soul for all eternity. He was inviting her to come into a relationship with him, to come to the person of Jesus. I love what author Dane Ortland said in his book, Gentle and Lowly. We do not come to a set of doctrines. We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel, although all these are vital. But most truly, we come to a person, to Christ himself. When it's all said and done, it's about you and Jesus. It isn't about your religious resume, your church membership, which doctrinal camp you most closely align with. In the end, there's only Christ, and your relationship with him is the only metric. So let me pause right here. And invite you to come to Jesus. If you find that the things of this world fall short of satisfying the thirst of your soul. Then maybe you need to come into a genuine relationship with the one who created your soul. Jesus said in John chapter 7. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever what? Believes in me. Whoever trusts in me. As the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So whether you're at the top of the social strata or the bottom, whether you're morally upright or caught in a web of sin, whether your beliefs are all buttoned up or you have a ton of theological questions, this is true about all of us. Every single person in this room desperately needs Jesus. And I just wonder if he didn't have a divine appointment with you here today. We all have thirsty souls. Psalm 42 describes us this way. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Do you know him? I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm not asking if you have some token religious affiliation. I'm not asking if you go to church or have a Bible bigger than a trunk. Do you know Christ? I want to invite you to know him. Well, how do I do that? Well, you turn away from sin and self and you turn to the person and work of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. You repent and you believe. And I found it's helpful to express that to him in prayer. And I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Would you pray with me? And for those of you who know Christ, take this moment to be grateful that he had a divine encounter with you. 
And if you don't know him, right now, just from the quiet of your heart, express those two things. Repentance, say you're sorry for your sin and turn away from your own plans in life. And then turn to him with a profession of faith. Belief in him as the son of God who died on the cross in your place for the forgiveness of your sins was resurrected to glory and will one day come again. Father, I pray that she would hear both these prayers of grateful hearts and these professions of new faith. And Father, we thank you that you are a Savior who pursues us even when we've turned away from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to see in the rest of the passage. That a satisfied soul, one who has found true life in the Lord, leads others to the source. After her life-changing encounter with Jesus, the woman at the well immediately went back to the town of Sychar and recruited others to come hear about Jesus. Pick up the story in verse 28. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Having believed in Jesus, the woman who was evangelized became an evangelist. Having experienced renewal, she shared her excitement with others and persuaded them to hear from Jesus. And her evangelistic zeal was effective. Look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of her testimony that he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. Think about that. The Jewish rabbi stayed in Samaria for two days. And because of this and his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know, we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And now we see why Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was on a mission to bring salvation to a thirsty soul and a rejected group of people, a city full of outcasts. And of all people, the woman at the well became his missionary. And what great results. Souls were saved. Eternity was altered. And heaven was populated with a group of people who had been rejected on this earth. A satisfied soul leads others to the source. So for those of you who know Jesus, who've responded to his invitation, you have a calling in your life to lead others to the Savior. We're purposed with proclaiming the good news of Jesus to a lost world. We've been commissioned to take the gospel across the street and across the world. So when's the last time you shared Jesus with someone? When's the last time you invited someone to church? Look to your right and left. We have an asset we haven't had in years at Fellowship Rogers. Empty seats. And I don't know if you've noticed, but as I've driven around Northwest Arkansas in the last month, the roads are crowded. People are moving here. It's almost like you want to put up a billboard. This place stinks. Don't come. But that's not very evangelistic. Put those two things together. Crowded streets and empty seats. Do you see the opportunity before us? When's the last time you invited someone to your community group? Is your group a holy huddle that's closed to outsiders? Or do you have an open door and an empty chair? When's the last time your group considered multiplying so that you could scale the influence of Christ? Or is this life that you find only for you and your friends? You see, people who have found life share it. Would you stand with me? 
I want to invite you this morning to close our time in prayer. Would you bow with me in prayer? And I want you to think of someone that you've met or known for years where you live, work, and play that you could invite to come and hear about the Savior or invite into your life and your circle. Would you pray for them to come to know the Lord right now? Pray for empty seats to be filled with lost souls. God, until that day, may we hold fast to your promise that you are the living water, that you are the one that can satisfy us. So God, would you not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
you guide our steps? Would we walk by your spirit in truth and in love? And may we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth with our lives offered up as a sacrifice to you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence, your goodness toward us. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. We have Scott and Cindy Thompson in the prayer room. If you'd like prayer this morning, go in peace this week.